This is the art of protest. A lot of us, we do fly under the radar, so we're making really interesting work. You know, we're protesting about good things, but it's not necessarily always visible that that's what we're doing, so we have to find ways of getting it out there. A series telling the human stories behind art. So I started painting public lashing and public hanging and, like, things that you don't want to think about. Just, you know, to deal with what it is, that part of my identity. In this episode, artists and thinkers reflect on the way art and protest meet. I do make things in reaction to things that are making me angry. You know, it's about people being unhappy with something, really. I'm trying to do something about it. Maybe showing their unhappiness or dissatisfaction in public. Maybe that's what it is. To protest. To express strong objection and disapproval. My name is Scotty. I'm an artist and an activist. When I think of protest, I immediately remember myself being maybe five, stood in our local park, which makes it sound more softer than it was. It was just concrete. And there being these barrel bins in the middle of the park and being with my nan and my granddad who were going to burn their poll tax books. And I vividly remember this chant, Maggie, 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 out, out, out. And that being my first protest. So when I think of protest, I think of my working-class Irish migrant nan and granddad taking me past the market on our estate and onto this pitch of concrete to burn a document. A protest. A gathering or action expressing opposition to something. Like we've been in the back room because we're doing it so DIY. It's like a proper money laundering operation because we've got old bed sheets and towels and irons and hair dryers and every kind of domestic appliance possible. What's your feelings about this, Hillary? Do you think this thousand should be in the corner, or do you think it should? Be? I'm Hillary Powell. I'm an artist. Like I'm Dan Edelstein. I'm a filmmaker, and this, this is, is the Rebel, Rebel Bank. Bank. So we're in the Rebel Bank, which is Ho Street Central Bank, HSCB, in Walthamstow. And here we are printing our own money. We're making £50,000 worth of our own currency in denominations 1, 5, 10, 20, 50, 100 and 1,000 in order to raise £50,000 through their sale at face value. The notes feature local people who are working at the kind of front line of our current economic system, Food bank, homeless kitchen, youth project and primary school. They stand to gain half the money we raise and the other half is going into buying up a million pounds worth of local debt. My initial research was like, okay, so they're saying that America's a creditocracy, is Britain a creditocracy? And if so, how do I tell that story? So I started looking at like Walthamstow. Is Walthamstow a creditocracy? You know, and that was my question. So then I began to ask Questions looking at healthcare in Walthamstow, looking at uh, housing, looking at, I guess, students, you know, students going into debt. And it wasn't till later that we devised this technique of raising money to buy up debt, which was let's create our own currency. And then, you know, I turned to Hillary, and at that point we were just in the garden shed. Hillary started to mint the first form of currency that we created. But I suppose all of it, from the film 
to the idea that we'd create our own bank and it would be this act of citizen money creation, a ways of looking at those big questions in society, like which even if you're educated, go over your head, like what is money? How does the economy work? They're things you kind of just kind of think, oh shit, how do you deal with that and talk about that? That's why we wanted to make a bank and that print our own money so that we'd use this arts and film and cultural action and tactile kind of media to really bring those questions to life and use the kind of big public action as a way of exploding the conversation. Well, maybe, maybe if it was more in the yeah, corner, maybe in the corner because it? now we're going to have that and massive thing. also that's going to go there. My name is Alistair Gentry and I'm an artist working on the bank job. As an artist, yeah, I don't earn very much money. I'm in a lot of debt, you know, like a lot of artists are. I was thinking about this at lunchtime, actually. I think what I like about this project is it's actually really subversive, but it's got a really quite a jolly face of it being a lark and the camaraderie of it. But it's actually saying some really subversive things, you know. It's just that money isn't really real. There could be any amount of it, you know. It's quite subversive to even talk about the idea of debt being something that you could abolish. We could decide, yeah, hey, nobody owes anybody any money anymore, you know. To see all the people that have come in and see kind of like a light bulb going on in their heads, you know, which is just what more can you ask for from an art project? American writer William Faulkner said, Never be afraid to raise your voice for honesty and truth against injustice and lying. If people all over the world would do this, it would change the earth. These are the ones with the guns, the plastic guns and the water. These are the ones with them getting arrested, and these are the ones I'm doing now. They are painted from tiny little photos, but I use 12 or 13 of them in tiny canvases, and the whole thing makes one work. My name is Anahita Rezvani Rad. I'm from Tehran, and I have been living in the United Kingdom for 14, 15 years now, and I paint. This is a record of my time as a person of a revolution generation who lives abroad. So I'm very common. I'm a young person, a woman, who felt that like lived under the, after the revolution in Iran and is part of the, you know, all these people who emigrated. And this is the way what is happening in my world. So I'm kind of documenting it for myself. And it's a different language and it's a different media and it's, and it's saved in a different world. So a lot of images got out of Iran because, because of the social media, because of mobile phone being accessible by everybody. But where does it end up? I'm really interested in that. At one point, it was really hot, so boys and girls all went to the like to a park and started shooting each other with these plastic guns, which are water guns, in Tehran. And they all got arrested because, I mean, the, everything was wet and the clothes were sticking to them and there were boys and girls playing with each other. These are plastic guns and they're throwing water at each other and they get arrested for it. And, the, yeah, so they take the faces away from them. So I don't want them necessarily to be an individual um, I just want them to be young people. I, I think about that too, like a collective memory and the role of painting and the role of painting in documenting. So my art could be an act of protest too. Indian activist Mahatma Gandhi said, 
You may never know what results come of your actions. But if you do nothing, there will be no results. I am a working class queer femme who's fat. And those identities have shaped the way the world interacts with me, but how I also interact with the world. And so a lot of the protests that are in my work is about queerness, it's about fatness and fat radicalism and changing the rhetoric around fat. It's about looking at those of us who don't sit within the kind of binary genders of like how the world wants a man or a woman to behave. You know, I'm soon to become a parent. And so I'm sort of then going to start disrupting family as a non-nuclear family. So my identities make up my protest, make up my politic, and they are loud within all of my work. But the work that I feel like articulated a certain moment in time was a show that I made called Putting Words in Your Mouth. And this was before the EU referendum. I wanted to see how other white working class queer people would be using their vote. And I embarked on trying to find working class white queers, often like council queers as well, from around the country. And I stumbled across EDL LGBT, so the English Defence League, who had an LGBT wing. This is the language they used. And I thought this felt so bizarre that a marginalised and oppressed community would go into a non-political protest group and be a part of neo-nationalism in such an aggressive way. And so I interviewed them all and I asked them questions about what it was to be British and if they considered themselves racist. And the conversations that white people have with each other about race was something that I wanted to expose. And so that show was lip-synced and performed by three performers of colour as a way of articulating a shared sexual identity or gender identity, but a completely opposing political one. As a piece of work, I think it was the most successful in saying, you need to all address this. To protest to bear witness. My name is Raji Rage. I'm an artist, I'm an educator and an activist. I think most of the art I'm into is, is around the art of protest um, in some way. I mean, I can say that in a lot of my performance work, I'm trying to raise questions around people's ideas of, of bodies and how bodies are connected and disconnected from each other. When we disconnect from other people, then we can allow violence and harm to kind of take place. So for that reason, I kind of use objects and I use kind of everyday objects with my body to provoke questions. I've used lipstick, for example. You know, lipstick is everywhere and people are used to lipstick, but people are only kind of used to people using lipstick in very normative ways. Women using lipstick in terms of makeup. Um, or as far as drag, but then what happens when you kind of push it and you write messages with lipstick on your body or you write messages on other people's bodies and see how people react to that. Protest is performance, right? You know, like, it's a way that humans think, OK, words are not enough here. We have to act with the body. And that's all that I do as a performance maker and a theatre maker. I protest with the body and I do that in lots of different contexts and situations. So performance, its raw essence, is political protest. I mean, I just was really inspired by art from the Black Arts Movement particularly, who were making 
work that was quite explicitly political and challenging um, and provoking. It just made me realise that you can make work about police violence, you can make work about racism, institutional racism. So right now I'm working on a project, I don't even know what to call it, whether it's an artwork or it's a research project or it's just my life. I decided to kind of just unpack things that were going on in my life and so that was me in the art world as an artist, but then it was also the activism that I do being a queer and trans person of colour. First of all, I started to create, create a map to kind of show these entanglements of activism, academia and art. But then I decided, yeah, what, what, what if this map was an archive or an alternative archive where you could click on these different aspects of the map and then come up with artworks, texts, audio recordings, different kind of ways of learning about that. And I also printed up the map as a tablecloth to kind of symbolise the kitchen table and the kitchen tablecloth as an informal space. So this is kind of a work in progress, I guess, which is kind of a a protest against the art world in a sense in terms of looking at value. I have the pamphlet here. I always have a pamphlet knocking around. Okay, Uh, this is for the Barbaras. I'm Sarah Khan, I'm an artist. Um, I'm an artist, I make art about confidence and status and being a woman artist and being a woman artist who is gradually getting older, like we all are. It was an unexpected moment when I found myself writing a poem as part of the pamphlet and it took quite a lot of wherewithal to decide to keep it in. But in terms of, if you're thinking about a protest, you sometimes have to nail your colours to the mast and I thought, you know what, that poem's staying. So this is for the Barbaras. This is for the Barbaras who are not in catalogues or survey texts. This is for the Barbaras who are under the radar. This is for the Barbaras who have insubstantial evidence. And this is for the Barbaras in miscellaneous filing cabinets. This is for the Barbaras who are unnamed in the photographs. This is for the Barbaras who couldn't get funding because of a recession. This is for the Barbaras who are ineligible for the Young Artist Grants. This is for the Barbaras who had money but were rubbish at networking. And this is for the Barbaras who were just not overly productive. This is for the Barbaras who were emerging and then went back under. This is for the Barbaras who started late. This is for the Barbaras who are bitter. This is for the Barbaras who missed the zeitgeist. This is for the Barbaras who got up at dawn. This is for the Barbaras who did all the right things. This isn't for Barbara Hepworth or Barbara Kruger, but it is for many of their peers. This is for the Barbaras who self-define. This is for the Barbaras I'll never find. This is for the Barbaras who don't want to be found. I think it's indicative of the fact that even though it's the 21st century, women are still underrepresented in galleries and underrepresented in many archives. And I care about the the invisibility of women. Another piece I've also made, which is just slightly slightly related and was also slightly a protest, where I invited um, eight artists, not actually all women, but eight artists who had day jobs for which they weren't recognised as artists. Being an artist wasn't relevant. And they all made artwork in secret in their workplace. So, um, for instance, one woman, she worked in Holloway Prison. And so she made beautiful little sculptures out of leftover paper from some workshops that she was running there. And so she couldn't actually take photographs in situ because it's a prison, you're not allowed your phone. So she did actually have to smuggle them out and photograph them outside. I was leaving small pieces of text underneath my desk. So you'd go into work and every day you'd be doing these small secret things 
and you think, yes, I'm still an artist. I've still got it. So it's, it's, it's that feeling of sort of empowerment. You have to find ways of sort of eking out your practice whilst juggling all the normal sort of work, you know, having to have jobs, I'm a single parent, all of those things. You have to find those moments where you can still create and, and think about what you're trying to say and have those small moments of protest. And then it just would make me laugh because I'd feel like I'd achieved something and it was also secrets and secrets are quite nice. To protest, to declare your doubt in something me the art of protest is the art that's made on them it's the objects and the banners and the placards and things and the drawings and whatnot that for me is the the best part of a protest i'm jeremy della i do art i make it i'm an artist for me the most interesting demo of the last years was the women's march in january last year for the atmosphere and the numbers of people, but also because of the depictions of female body parts that you don't really get to see, and the, the language as well of it, which I probably can't repeat. But I think it was It was the kind of first time you saw that kind of those body parts being drawn or in public being displayed, and those sort of reproductive organs and all stuff like that. But still, is quite taboo to show that. Or if it is drawn, it's usually drawn by men. So. I thought that was really interesting to see that. And uh, I think that was probably quite an important moment culturally in terms of like art history and depiction of bodies and so on. I've taken pictures of things that people make and do, because often they get discarded afterwards, which is always a bit of a pity, I think. But I think now people do collect them for libraries or for collections and for archives and so on, which is good because they're very valuable things. I'm not the kind of person that tweets about politics or makes grand statements on the whole. You know, I'm quite happy causing very minor mischief, in a way. I think that's what you could call it. I'm, I'm quite happy to make a banner or whatever it is I do. I suppose that, that's my role, really. When the London riots was happening in 2011, so I just thought the young people really angry. And there were some really cool images that I thought, oh, that would make a good painting with that light. And, but then, because my heart wasn't in it and there was no emotional attachment to it, I couldn't continue. Like, I did a couple and they're horrible, but it's, uh, it's a really emotional thing for me. So when the... Iran Green Movement was happening. I was painting and crying. It happened before the Arab Spring in 2009. A lot of young people were in the street. They all got arrested because they believed that their vote was rigged. And the person they voted for is in house arrest ever since. And a lot of people got arrested. They got killed. Some of the images is not easy for me to look at, let alone like sit in front of it and paint. But I just do it. So it's a really emotional process when I choose it and when I paint it and the way I paint it, the colours I use, they're all very personal, very emotional. Uh, but then I had the survivor guilt. I was here thinking, well, I can't, what can I do? Why am I here? Why am I not there in the front line getting shot? <laughs> and, then the, and then Michael Jackson died and then Iran went off the news. So you just want to, like, put this in the history or just, you know, somehow 
remember it as something which has happened and it's just not down a pit of digital images. American author and cartoonist Dr. Zeus said, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. We've got named the Rebel Bank and quite like that. So we, we kind of embraced that because that, when you kind of remember, you think, yeah, it's actually right. We've done this all on our own without much backing and we're carrying on. And so many people discount art and film that it doesn't have a a way of making a difference but we've kind of you kind of see it in action when people from all walks of life come in and engage in different ways with this in a way that you couldn't through a, a white paper or you know a kind of bland talking heads kind of expert speaking down at people this is a fight you know and if we're going to sustain it we're going to need to get smart about how we keep moving forwards you know because we want to you know we definitely we've got the energy for it it's just that we need to find sustainable ways as artists to respond to it. Italian artist Leonardo da Vinci said, nothing strengthens authority so much as silence. I think artists have for a long time been using their art to protest about things. I don't think it's a new idea at all. But it does feel as if there's become this sort of movement of activism, of being people being vocal there's more opportunity for people who want to make art about protest to actually find a platform. And also we can now create our own platforms. That's the other key thing, isn't it? That we don't have to wait for the white cube to show our protest. We can protest in multiple ways and in different environments, whether it's sort of online, virtual interventions, all of those things. A lot of people can't engage with politics and a lot of people don't want to engage with politics in that political way of activism um, and direct action. Um, a lot of people don't feel they have the, the knowledge or the education to engage or to know what's happening with the state. Whereas art, I kind of feel, has a cultural language and a lot of people generally in the world like to connect with culture. So I feel like it can reach people that activism and formal politics doesn't reach. Art can kind of have its own language of how it communicates. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do rate, review and subscribe. You can tune in next week when we'll explore the art of failure. Hear Akram Khan and Tracy Chevalier discuss what art and failure means for them. In that year, there was one day where I thought, I'm tired of being a failure. How do I use my failure to be my strength? So I started to play on my failures. It's an unsung problem that we all face going to a gallery or museum and you get tired almost the moment you walk in or after five minutes. And I have tried to let myself off the hook a little bit. The Art of Protest was produced by Sarah Cudden and Alia Kassam. It was a Falling Tree production for Tate with music from Camilo Tirado and the Cabinet of Living Cinema. The reader was me, Talisa Teixeira, with special thanks to all our contributors. To find out more about Tate Podcasts, visit tate.org.uk forward slash podcasts. 
or subscribe in Apple Podcasts or Acast. <laughs>